are going to be in uh, Psalm 139 this morning. If you've got your Bibles, I want to go ahead and head in that direction. But uh, let me introduce this series and kind of where we're heading over the month of August. Uh, last month, we talked about shifting our perspective and shifting our understanding of, of how God relates to us and how we relate to God. And uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to now talk about these patterns in our life, these things that we can can lay down as foundational formulas of our life that are going to help us begin to live out of that perspective. Because the truth is, our life and where our life goes is kind of based on what we search after, what we long for, the patterns in our life that we set up. And so we're going to be talking about these patterns that we search for, these search patterns in our life. The truth is, we love and we live off of patterns in our life. Behavioral patterns, emotional patterns, financial patterns, social patterns, physical patterns. We love to find formulas that work and stick with them, don't we? I mean, think about your life just this week. Like you, you think, all right, if I, if I work hard, if I show up to work on time, if I put in my hours, then, then I'll get a promotion, I'll get more money, and I'll have financial stability. All right, so we know the formula to work toward that. Or, you know, if I, if I love my wife if I give appropriate gifts on special occasions, if I remain faithful, I'm going to have a good marriage. Or, you know, if I teach my kids moral teachings, if I provide for them a safe environment, I give them good opportunities, then they will end up well-adjusted members of this society. Uh, if, I, if I don't eat certain types of food, I show up in the gym occasionally, then I will be a healthy person. If I study, if I do homework, then I will pass this grade and make it into college. If I go to church, if I give, if I serve others, then God will love me and accept me. If I treat others with respect, honor, and decency, they will do the same for me. These are all formulas, and you got your own formulas that we live off of, but, but that's our life, isn't it? I mean, we get up and do things, and we, we are motivated by certain formulas in our life. And we understand the negative of these work just as much as well. If I don't do these things, if I don't buy our, our anniversaries coming up into this month, if I don't buy that anniversary gift, or if I don't do something to recognize that date, there'll be consequence. If we, if we don't do certain things, there's consequence that goes along with that as well. And so as this happens in our life, we learn how these formulas work. But if you've lived life long enough, you also know this. Sometime life doesn't go according to these formulas. Sometimes things, what was supposed to happen does not happen. I, I took a couple of computer programming classes, and when I first started out in college, uh, I thought I wanted to be in computer science. And after about two classes, I said, no, that's not me. But I learned all of programming is kind of based on two words. And the words are if and then. And when you program, you program something, if this happens, then this is what happens next. And a program or a computer goes haywire if something doesn't fit right into that formula. If something happens and there's no then statement to tell her what to do next. That's when it kicks it out and says error message. And our life kind of works the same way, doesn't it? We sometimes, we, we love if this happens, but then this doesn't happen. What do we do? What do we do? I worked hard. Why didn't I get the promotion? I loved my, life, my spouse well, and our marriage is still 
falling apart. I provide for my kids, but they rebel. I eat and exercise, but still I got a horrible health diagnosis. We often start looking for new patterns and new formula and new methods when things don't go this way. We try to start figuring out a way to solve this problem. And the truth is, we base our lives on the ideas that if we can figure out the right pattern of living, the secret formula, then we can always have the desired outcome of our life. I can just find that secret formula, that pattern to follow like everybody else. And, and don't we do this? Don't we look at other people's lives and we think they've got it figured out? They, there's, look at their life. Man, they've got the, the best apartment. They've got the best this, the best that. Their marriage looks perfect. This looks perfect in their life. And we start thinking, looking at an, at an outcome, and we think if we can just figure out their pattern, then if we put that in our life, it'll work for us as well. But I want you to understand something this morning as we get ready to, to look into Scripture here in a minute. It doesn't work this way. It would be great if this outcome-based pattern worked every time. But if that was the case, why haven't we figured it out yet? In the whole of human history, why haven't we figured out this secret formula? Why haven't we figured out, why well, can't I go down to the bookstore and buy 10 steps to the happy life? And, and the truth is, you can probably go buy a book like that, but it's not going to work for you, right? And maybe it worked for that guy for a season of his life, but it's not going to work for you. And here's the reason why. Because we live in a broken system. We live in a system that is broken. We think that we live in a system where justice, peace, respect, and love are at the core of who we are in our world, but it's not. We actually live in a culture and a world that's built off of injustice, animosity, selfishness, and apathy. Exactly opposite of the things that we long for. And, and when we try to operate, when we think we live in a, a world that's right, and we don't get the outcome, we start wondering what's wrong. And we start looking for someone to blame. And where do we typically place the blame? On to God. We'll sit here and go, God, the world is right. I'm following the right formula, yet my life is in shambles. Why? Why can't you solve this? Why did you do this to me? Why am I having to go through this? And we struggle with asking God why when the truth and reality is this. We live in a world that we have, from the beginning of time, broken. We've created a world of injustice, created a world of apathy, of selfishness that we live out of. Daniel 9.5 says this, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled. We've turned aside from your commands and rules. It, we're, we're like the player, if you watch soccer or basketball or whatever, and they commit a foul, what's the first thing they say? On me. Like, why did you call that on me? Like, you know, and the, the replay clearly shows that you hit that guy in the forehead. Like, there's no doubt about it. But the first reaction, it's not my fault. And that's what we do. We say, God, if the system's not working, if the formula's not working, it's not my fault. But Daniel reminds us, look, we rebelled. We're the ones who created this broken system. And, and there's a verse, we've, we've taught on it before, that's a hard verse for us to take in. Jeremiah 17, 9, that says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
Isn't that a great way to describe your heart? Isn't that a great thing to know? My heart is best, desperately wicked, and who can understand it? But it's a great piece of knowledge to have because what it tells me is this. My heart can fool me sometimes. My heart can make me things, think things that are not true sometimes. It can make me want to blame God when the truth is I'm the one or we're the ones that have broken this system and we want to blame God. And so what I want us to do is to understand this. Even though we live in a broken world, we long for a perfect world. We long for a place where justice and peace reign, where selfishness isn't part, where, where love abounds. We long for this. We long for a place that we're respected and people respect us and we respect others. We long for a time when our hearts are at peace. But for this to happen, we have to change what it is that we're looking for out of life. We have to search for some new patterns, embrace new formulas. And these are formulas not based on man's thought, but based on God's heart. And that's what I want us to do over these next few weeks is talk about some of these key patterns of thinking, key patterns of living that will help us better understand and get back to the world that we long for. Because for too long, and and I find myself caught up in this too, I live by man's systems that man created in a broken world and thinking that it's going to lead to peace. And it won't. And I have to break out of that and find God's patterns from the world that he originally created and live out of those. Here's what we do. We try to create the right set of circumstances and think that it will then create the right character in us. That's what we do. If I can provide a good circumstance, then I can my character will grow because my circumstances are right. But God says this. He wants to create the right character so that you can make the most of any circumstance. He wants to grow our character first so the circumstances don't matter. I'm not saying they don't impact us. I'm not saying that they don't, not something that we feel and have to walk through. But the truth is our character is being expressed in the circumstance, not being defined by the circumstance. So today, let's begin by discovering one of these powerful patterns that God wants to create in our life. And uh, it's my belief that we're created by God, created in his image, and created to be in relationship with him. And if this is the core of who we are, then the first pattern we have to understand is this. If we're created by God, and he knows us, and we're created to be in a relationship with him, the first pattern we have to understand is how do we interact with God? How do you and I, as humans, interact with this non-human, this supernatural being, this creator of everything? If we don't understand that pattern and we we have that flawed, then it's going to flaw every other thought process. If we think it's up to us, if I have to do this task, this task, this task, this list of things to interact with God, and I'm constantly falling short, it's going to short-circuit the rest of my thinking of how my life will go because I will constantly be thinking I am disappointed, the one who created me. And so we have to understand how we interact with God. And I think throughout Scripture, there is one word that constantly comes to the top that we sh- of how we interact with God. And this is the first pattern of thinking that we have to embrace and this, this idea of authenticity, being authentic with God, being who you are. 
We're, we're going to, when we interact with God, we're going to be completely open, honest, uncovered, and uncontrived. We're just who we are. That may seem scary. It may seem uncomfortable. And many times it will be. But I want us to spend some time, the remainder of this time, in, in Psalm 139 to demonstrate how this pattern works. This psalm was written by King David. Uh, if you know anything about his story, he was a man who you know, was chosen at an early age to be king of the nation of Israel, is known as a man after God's own heart, own heart. In the midst of being king, he had some tremendous failures. He uh, committed adultery, got, you know, had, his, had Bathsheba come, and they had a child. He had Bathsheba's husband killed in battle. In tremendous failures, but he also had some tremendous successes. God blessed him. But the, the thing you see about David all throughout Scripture is this idea of wanting to be authentic with God, honest with God. So let, let's look at Psalm 139. We're going to look at the first few verses right quick and, and learn a few things. So let's look at starting in verse 1. It says, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The, the first truth I want you to embrace is this. I want to challenge you to embrace true reality that God knows everything about you. God knows everything about you. That may be a little scary, right? Like you might not understand. This would be scary if you don't understand the true character and nature of God. If you think that he's out to get you, to judge you, to punish you, this would be a horrible thought that he knows everything about you. He knows when you sit up, when you lie down, what you're thinking. He knows even what you're saying up before you speak it. What a horrible thought. I remember when I was first growing up in church, I heard, you know, somebody was teaching about when we stand before God one day and we're going to be judged for all of our actions. And the way they described it was this, like your entire life will be shown before God. And like, man, that was scary to me. Like as a 10 year old, I was like, you mean I'm going to be standing in heaven like all the world is going to be sitting, my life's going to be on this jumbo screen. Like I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, what a horrible, horrible thought. And when you think God is the judge, the one who's there to punish, that would be horrible. But that's not what this is talking about. The idea that he has searched me and he knows me, that he knows everything about me, that nothing is hidden from him, nothing. He has seen you at your worst, at your best. He knows what you really think about people, circumstances, and even him. He knows all that. This is scary for us if we serve a God who is like us, that is based on our injustice, our animosity, our selfishness, our apathy. If God just judged us the way we judge ourselves or judge others, this would be a scary thought. You ever had one of those moments where you said, you know, if I was God, I would have done it differently. I would have done that. Aren't you kind of maybe in the long run glad you're not God? Or glad your neighbor's not God? Or glad your spouse isn't God? Because they may have treated you differently than God would have. Maybe they wouldn't have shown you the grace and mercy that God did. So what kind of patterns of thinking do we need to embrace in understanding this when we embrace this reality that God knows everything about us? First thing is this, is would you be honest with God? God doesn't 
believe your lies, even the ones that you tell yourself, even the ones you've told yourself for years, the ones that you tell yourself about how good you are or how bad you are, the ones that you tell yourself about this doesn't really impact me or this didn't really hurt when you know it really cuts you to the core of who you are. I am so thankful God does not believe our lies. He can't because he knows the truth. He knows it at the very core, and it cuts through everything. I I love in verse 1 where it says, you have searched me. It's not that I gave God permission to search me. It's not that I even invited. He just does it because he knows us. He created It literally means he has searched us, he is searching us, and he will always be searching our hearts. It means he is fully ingrained in who we are. God isn't waiting for your permission to search your heart. He's not ready for an annual checkup that you have time to prepare for. He is constantly in our life and in our business. You know, God isn't searching our hearts, though. I want you to understand this, to find the bad parts, to point them out to us. To be like, oh, look what I found tucked away in the corner here. You thought you had hidden this away, but I really found it. He's searching our hearts. So at the very base level of our identity, we can know this. We are known. You are known by God. There is not a part of you that God does not know. There's not a part of you that you can keep hidden from him. This is why lacking honesty with God is is silly. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Embracing this pattern of being honest with God will allow us to begin to be honest with ourselves. We'll begin to view ourselves the way God views us. We'll begin to accept ourselves the way God does. Forgive ourselves the way God does. Love ourselves the way God does. But when we try to act like we can hide something from God, We actually keep God away from us in our own minds. We think we can fool God. I remember growing up, I don't know why, but as a young kid, like I didn't enjoy showering. I don't think, I don't know if it was getting wet or whatever, but I remember my mom and dad would be like, Patrick, take a shower before you go to bed. And like I would go up and I'd turn the water on, close the curtain, but I'd like just chill in the bathroom. Like I wouldn't get in the shower, you know? And then I'd come out like with my PJs on and like I'd got my hands wet and run them through my hair a little bit. I don't think I fooled my parents once. Like I thought I did. Sometimes I think they're just like, it's not worth the fight, go to bed. But I don't think I ever fooled them once. They were like, Patrick, why? They knew. They knew. I thought I was fooling. I was creating a world that really didn't exist. In truth, breaks pretense. We can't pretend with the truth. And I I actually, the more I understand this truth, the more I come to love it. I can't pretend with God. I can't. I can't. Even if I try to, God sees through everything. So honesty with God is key. But then the second thing is this, is integrity toward God. This is what he talks about in verses four through six. God isn't fooled by our deceptive words or actions. Nothing is done in secret or without our motive being revealed. I love this. He, he knows our words before we even speak them, it says. But it says he knows them to its fullest. And here's what that means. It's not that he knows what we're going to say. He knows the full intent behind what we're going to say. He understands what we're trying to accomplish with our words and with our actions. 
And here's what it boils down to. You can't impress God. Stop trying to live your life as if you're trying to impress God and put on your Sunday best and dress yourself up for God. You know, when Katie and I get home in the evenings or like after church and we want to get comfortable, like I don't go in and put on a suit and tie. I don't like get dressed up and like lounge around, you know, and be like, hello, my lady. You know, that's not what we do. What do we do? I mean, you put on shorts, T-shirt, you get comfortable. It's not, comfort doesn't come from impressing each other. It's from being honest and true to one another. And too often we try to come to God and try to impress him and says, look, God says, stop trying to impress me. Instead, just be with me. Be who you are with God. God. God can see every part of who you are. So be honest with him, but then be true to him. Be who you are. Where you fall short, admit it. God's not surprised by that. God's not overwhelmed. You're not going to all of a sudden tell God, you know, I've got a problem with greed. I mean, my anger gets the most of me. And he's like, what? It does. Well, I never knew that about you. I mean, it's not, he's not going to be shocked by that. There's actually going to be comfort and compassion when you finally get to a point where you can be completely honest with God. Second thing I want you to understand, not only that we need to to first embrace this true reality that God knows about you, but now look in verse 7, and let's read this. It says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, so I'm at hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning up high and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall come over me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. Your night is bright as the day, for darkness is light with you. The next thing I want you to understand, just as much as we need to understand that God fully knows us. We need to experience this continual connection with God and know that he will never abandon you. God will never abandon you. Never. There's a simple fact that you and I must embrace. We can never get away from God. He won't let us go. We can't hide from him. I remember when the kids were young, you know, we, one of the fun things playing around the house was playing hide and seek. And they'd love to go hide and we would go find them. But at a young age, you know, they're not good at hiding, are they? I mean, they stand behind a curtain and their you know, feet are sticking out from under the curtain. They, they go lay under the covers. And they think as long as you can't, they can't see you, you can't see them, right? And you, as an adult, what do you, you walk around, oh, where are you? Where? The whole time, you know exactly where they are. And, and we do that with God sometimes, don't we? We think we can get out of his presence, that he doesn't understand where we are or what's going on in our life. But there is no place that's hidden from his sight, and there is no place that can hide us from him. And this isn't scary. This is actually reassuring. This is a pattern of thinking that we must embrace. It is an idea that God is every, every present in our life. His strength, wisdom, and love are with us no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through. I don't, I don't know where you're sitting in a life circumstance right now. Maybe you feel like there's this overwhelming crush, this overwhelming weight in your life. There's uncertainty. There's something new coming. There's something you've never experienced before. Or maybe it's something that's 
you've experienced over and over again, it just defeats you over and over again, and you feel like you're hidden from God. I want you to understand, the only time we really think we're hidden from God is when we pull that sheet over ourselves. And we think we're, it's not that God doesn't know where we are. He knows exactly where we are, and he's there with us, constantly there. The, the Jewish people understood this incredibly, and they even communicated in the word they used for God. The word Yahweh was the word, that, and they really would never even speak that word. It was like too sacred to even speak. But the word Yahweh came out of the sounds that they would make when you would breathe. And when you think about taking a breath, it's like, Yahweh. It was, the, it was the sound of breathing to them. That's where that word came from. And it was a reminder that every breath they took, whenever they breathed in and breathed out, the presence of God was with them. Wherever you are, wherever you're breathing, wherever you're walking around, Breathing in and breathing out, the presence of God is with you. So what is this? How does this impact us? The first thing it makes us do is this. In verse 7 and 10, it talked about this. No matter where I go, highs, lows, whether I'm in heaven, in hell, the heights of a mountain, or the depths of a sea, my circumstances aren't determining God's presence in my life. And so what this does for us is it releases guilt. It releases guilt. Our personal decisions, our mistakes, our sins, our rebellion, no matter how dumb or how deep, they do not separate us from the presence of God. There is nothing that you can do to make God give up on you, to make him walk away from you. Nothing. When, when we live in this pattern of guilt, we live in a constant state of pressure, don't we? If I feel guilty, I feel a pressure on me, a pressure to perform a pressure to make up things, a pressure to make things right. And that pressure is just constant. It's, it's literally a burden. And I mean, you can literally, if you feel guilt, it almost is like a weight around your neck, weighing you down. And God is saying, look, release that between you and me. There's no, there's no guilt here. There, I don't look at you and see guilty. Because of what Christ has done, I look at you and see you through the eyes of forgiveness, see you through the eyes of peace, through the eyes of mercy. I want you to hear this. We don't have to convince God to forgive us. You don't have to convince God to forgive you. His forgiveness is not based out on our actions. It's based out of his character. And his love and the mercy that he has in his heart motivates him to forgive. It's not something we have to cause him to do. And when we release this, when he's already demonstrated this through Christ, guilt is gone. But the second thing we got to do, and this is maybe a little difficult, is to release control. And that's what it talks about in verse 11 and 12. Like these thoughts, I can't even comprehend this. What I think is darkness is light. What I, what I, the environment I'm trying to create, it doesn't even comprehend. You know, we don't have to create the right circumstances or to have the right connection with God, we just have to let go. It's not that we have to do these things to create this safe environment to approach God. Now we got we to create this framework that we can now approach God if I've done this, this, and this first. It's just being in God's presence. Letting go. We love being in control, don't we? We love being the ones to 
create the environment, to determine the atmosphere. But when we do this, we end up creating rules, obligations, and standards to connect to God that he never intended. We, we create our own boundaries to God, and God has been working all through history to push those boundaries down. And when we live out of guilt or control, we are actually creating barriers to God. So let that go. I want you to hear this. God is with us, period. He's with you, period. There's not something you have to do to get into God's presence. There's not something you have to do to make God love you more. We're in God's presence right now. You don't have to come to church to be in God's presence. You're in God's presence wherever you're breathing in and breathing out. I'll close with just one last thought, and it's found in the last few verses, verses 13 through 16. And it says this, For you have formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden for you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Just basically God saying, and David saying, look, you don't just, you're not just with me. You don't just know me. You created me. You know every aspect of who I am. And this is when we can sit back and enjoy the unconditional acceptance, knowing that God created you and loves you. Three things I want you to know about this. When we look at ourselves in the mirror, most of us, I think, the first thing we see are our flaws. Maybe you're a very narcissistic person. You're like, man, that person looking good today. <laughs> like, look at that, right? I mean, that's t- I don't typically approach the mirror that way. Usually when I see the mirror, I'm like, man, oh, I got some work to do, you know? It's like we just see our flaws, and we start to judge ourselves by our form and our shape and, and what we're like. And we start asking, you know, man, I wish I looked like this. I wish I sounded like this. I wish I acted like this. I want you to hear something this morning based out of this passage. Your value is found in the one who formed you, not in the form that he made you. It's in the fact that he created you. That's where your value is. You are formed and shaped and made unique by God. Your value is not in your form because these forms will decay. They'll they'll fall apart. And I wish I had my 20-year-old body back right? I don't want my 20-year-old mind back, but I'll take my 20-year-old body back. But they're going to decay. They're falling apart. This is not who we are, this form. And with all those imperfect pieces about us, isn't that an amazing thought that our value is in the one who shaped us, not in the form itself? I'm not much of a musician, but I, I remember at an early age, I heard about this violin called a Stradivarius, which is a incredible, you know, violin, very expensive. The, the most expensive one that's ever sold, sold for $16 million. If I was holding a Stradivarius violin up here and just one that I bought down at Guitar Center today, besides maybe the age of the wood, looking at the outside, you probably couldn't tell a difference. But when you began to look on the inside and understand what makes it unique, 
And actually, it's the density of the wood that makes that violin sound very different than any other violin. It was the handcraftedness. And it was actually what adds value is even his original stamp that are on those things. That is the one who formed it that gives it the value and makes the difference. The same thing is true in our life. I don't think anybody's going to buy me for $16 million, but there is value in me because of, I'm a creation of God. I'm formed and shaped my innermost part, God created. So your value is found in the one who formed you. Your peace is found in the fact that God has loved you. He loves you now, and he will always love you. There is peace in that. That he loves you now, he has loved you, and he will always love you. And your redemption from injustice, animosity, selfishness, this broken world system, it is found in his heart and his hands, not in the pattern of our thought. There is no thought of any man. I want you to hear this. I'm not the smartest man in the world. You're not the smartest man or woman in the world. Whoever that person was throughout history, Solomon, whatever philosopher you love, there is no thought of man that is higher than the thought of God. There is no thought of man that can solve this broken system. That can only come from somebody outside the system that brings healing to it. So my question for you today is this. What's keeping you from being authentic to God? What's keeping you from that? Are you trying to hide your true self? Do you think if he knows the real you, then he wouldn't love or accept you? Would you remember that he's formed you? He knows your innermost parts. Nothing hidden from him. Are you trying to impress God by living up to some man-made standards? Do you think you can somehow earn his love? Would you remember this morning, you did nothing to earn his love and you can do nothing to lose his love? Are you trying to fix your relationship with God by trying to change your external patterns, by thinking, if I can get smarter, if I I can fix this system? Did you hear this? It's already been fixed. God's already fixed it. And then through a relationship, through a redeeming relationship with him, we can begin to live out new patterns of our life in this system. Search your heart for authenticity with God today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me?